Y'all ready to do this thing? Uh, before I pray, just a couple of quick commercials. Um, I've got to use this because one is it's online. And also, I really want to encourage you to ask questions. But if you ask a question, I'm going to ask you to speak it into the mic so the people uh, at home can also hear the question. Um, I know there's some people that I talk to that are that, uh, you know, somebody was sick and so they, they couldn't be here tonight and they just wanted to make sure it was online. So, um, so anyway, um, other is, yeah, please ask questions. We're not, I'm not interested in hearing myself talk because the subject matter we're going to be talking about is, uh, is, is real. It really, at the, the heart of it is, I will say this to you before I get started and pray. Um, this didn't come out of a book. This came out of uh, facing life's adversities or sitting in front of uh, people that were wounded or broken or even me facing situations that were wounded and broken and having to answer questions, ask questions about what in the world, why was we facing this situation? And uh, so uh, that's what this has come out of. And so I will tell you this, uh, I am convinced that I do not know everything that we're going to be talking about. So I'm looking forward to learning also. Uh, it's very seldom that I don't teach a subject like this that I don't learn something. And so I'm, in fact, I will tell you this, a lot of times when I'm teaching something like this, I will start to say things that I never knew before I said it. And so don't be surprised if all of a sudden I go, you know, uh, can somebody write that down, please? <laughs> you know, because I need to catch that, you know. <laughs> I'll take a picture of the board after I've taught, you know, I'm going, i got to get a picture of this because I didn't know this 10 minutes ago. And so, you know, Spirit of God, just when, when people are, you're with people that are hungry for God and hungry for God's Word, start to uh, draw, literally it will draw stuff out. And, uh, and so I just really encourage you to, to be hungry and ask the hard questions. Um, do not get frustrated if I tell you I don't know. And because uh, that's very, very easily maybe say I'll do that. And the thing I pray that I'll have the grace to say I don't know rather than run my mouth and try to cover something over. Um, because, you know, this is too important. So let's just uh, open up a word of prayer and, uh, and, and go for it. I'm going to ask Paul to pray, so give me a chance to focus. Lord, we just um, thank you for this time together as, as family. And, uh, Lord, we just we know that you have something for each of us. And so, Lord, we just open our heart to that. I just pray that you just give Rick wisdom uh, beyond what he knows right now. And I ask that he would speak from your throne room and teach the things that, and speak the words that you want him to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, first question is going to determine where we go tonight. How many in, people in this room have heard me teach on God is a safe place? If you have, raise your hands. Wow. I don't know where to go with that. The, the first chapter in this thing is, 
came out of, like I just said to y'all earlier, this thing came out of the midst of fires. Well, when uh, April 16th occurred, it's 2007, was it seven? 2007. Um, you know, we were heavily involved in the campus of Virginia Tech. And in fact, I was even over on Tech campus when the shooting occurred. Were you there, Tom? Were you on the campus? Yeah, you were on campus. And so, I mean, you know, we, I mean, we got thrown in the midst of it. And uh, so much that even like the night of the shooting, I remember just looking around this sanctuary. We just had a, a service, just said, okay, everybody, we're having service. Ask the hard questions. And, you know, having a bunch of tech, techites ask hard questions in the midst of a, an event like April 16th, uh, you know, it was rather revealing. It was a really cool time, um, healing time for us. But this chapter one came out of that week. Uh, and and I, uh, God gave me the word. And literally, I, I spoke it a number of different places that week. I remember uh, I was speaking at the, had to speak at the Baptist campus ministry. I think I spoke at the, at the Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, uh, spoke it here. And uh, I don't want to repeat something for y'all that have heard it, um, but I'm going to review it real quick, and you've got the notes on it. The gist of it was, is y'all, when you're dealing with, quote, the sovereignty of God, uh, the reason why I put this is chapter 1. You have to lay a foundation, and the foundation which I operate from is that God is a safe place. Uh, he does not vary from that thing. But when the shooting occurred at Tech, you know, you were hearing a lot of Christianese, like God is in control, you know, um, you know, you know, a lot of things that were Christianese. And, and a lot of those statements were causing a lot of issues, a lot of problems that that people were, that would cause, like somebody said, God is in control, or God took your kids, or God this, you know, and all of a sudden you'd say that to a parent who just experienced the traumas of something like that, or even just one of somebody that experienced it. Uh, you, you're dealing with a lot of serious issues where they would not trust God. Like I'll never forget a, a good, some friends of ours, well, a guy who graduated from here at Tech, and we had discipled. And they moved to northern Virginia and were uh, attending a traditional church. And, and uh, they had two kids. And the mother was walking down the street uh, with another friend, a stroller pushing their babies. She just happened to have two. And so they're pushing them. And, and she has to go into the drugstore. Uh, my, um, our friend's uh, wife. And so she has to go into the store. So they push the strollers up to the door of the of the drugstore, and the other mother stayed at the door there with the other kids. And so uh, while she's inside, all of a sudden there was an, uh, was an older lady in the parking lot who got disoriented, and instead of mashing the gas on her car, she mashed the brake. And so the car goes screaming across the parking lot and hits the drugstore right, right in the front door where these strollers were. The mother was the other mother that was there was able to pull her, her child and and the one of my other our friend's child out of the way, but the other one got just run over by the car. And so this mother, having to just go through the trauma of holding her dying baby, you know, had to deal with the theology going, well, God is in control. 
well, you know, it looks like if that's the case, then he didn't do too good a job today. And you tell a mother who just lost her child, God took your child, you're dealing with some serious issues there, trust issues. In fact, this woman shut down, and the couple ended up facing divorce, experiencing divorce, and she literally, they just literally, you know, they couldn't trust God. You, I mean, you can fool your conscious mind, but you can't fool your heart. And so dealing with these kind of issues are like the time that I'm dealing with the young girl who shows up at Radford University who's experiencing panic attacks. So intense were the panic attacks that she would literally hyperventilate and pass out. She was seeing psychiatric help at, in the counseling department at Radford, and, and uh, she wandered into our ministry and just the days when Wheeler was there. Um, and she, uh, she come in and, uh, we started ministering to her. She got saved, but then we started ministering and praying for her to find out what it was, what was the root of these panic attacks. And, and literally what God showed us was that when she was 12, her older, her brother who was two years older than her, when, when she was 12, he was 14, he died of leukemia and she watched her brother go through that traumatic uh, process of death. She's at the funeral, and some believer walks up to her and said, well, God took your brother. Well, this 12-year-old girl resolved in her heart, if God took her brother, she wanted to kill God. And so she set that in her heart. Well, God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. Well, you don't like God, it opens doorways. And literally that night that we're praying with her, she received the truth that God was not the taker, that God was the giver of life. And literally that night was the last time she ever had a panic attack. God set her free. The revelation of knowing that God was not the taker. God didn't kill her brother. God didn't take her brother. So those are the, the, some of the things that we deal with in this, this series. And so to know that God is a safe place, like for that mother who's wounded and broken out of losing a child, she, she needs to know that there's some place, safe place on the universe that she can go to. She needs to know that she can hide, literally like it says in Psalm, what is it, Psalm 25 or Psalm 31, he will hide you in the secret place of his presence in the day of trouble. He'll hide you in the secret place of his presence from the conspiracies of men and the strife of tongues. And so hopefully... Uh, some of the things that we'll share in, share in the coming weeks can help establish that. Like I said, knowing that God is a safe place, there's, there were two major things that God spoke to me that week at the shooting of Virginia Tech. And first one was that he, like you see in your notes there, that God is not of this world. Now, like I said, I'm going to just go over this real quick because you know, about half of you in this room have, have been through this and heard me preach this many times in dwelling place. But God is not of this world. You know, Jesus um, declared, you know, he's not of this world. And literally, the reality is, in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11, Jesus three times declares that Satan is the ruler of this world. And in fact, if you notice your notes there in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 4, uh, Paul declares that Satan is the god of this world. So when, so when the reality is, is that we see a declaration that, that 
that Jesus says he's not of this world. Satan is the ruler of this world. In fact, in John, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, the reason why Jesus came is to deliver us out of this present evil age. Not that for us to get comfortable here, but to deliver us out of this age. And so the reality is God's not of this world. And one of the things the Lord spoke to me that week, he says, I'm not of this world. So therefore, the things that occur of this, in this world, you cannot blame on me. And it was just like a, you know, it's a simple declaration, but it's a massive truth. And the thing the Lord reminded me of during that time, he said, you know, you know I fly, at that time, still do a lot fly through Paris, and the Lord reminded me, he says, you're sitting, you're sitting in a Paris airport, and all of a sudden a Frenchman walks up to you and says, can you believe what, this is back in the day when another person was president, but for our situation, could you believe what uh, Donald Trump, is, his laws are doing to France? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, can you believe the laws that he's doing, and he's making or ruining France? And I go, excuse me, Donald Trump is not the president of France. So therefore you can't blame what's going on in France on Donald Trump. And what God spoke to me, he says, I'm not the ruler of this world. So therefore, what is occurring in this world is not a reflection who I am. Because that's what the Lord's prayer is. Thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done what? On earth as it is in heaven. And that declaration has preceded our Father who is what? In heaven. So if you want to blame God on something, blaming on the condition of heaven, not earth. The second thing he spoke to me that during that week was, he says, I'm not the taker, I'm the giver of life. And you see in those declarations there in John 10, 10, where it says the thief comes to steal and steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give life and give it abundantly. And God reminded me about a, a policeman, I mean, if there's a robbery, what they will do is they check for the fingerprints and the fingerprints will tell you about the thief, identify the thief. And God reminded me, he says, the fingerprints of the enemy are stealing, killing, and destroying. My fingerprints are life and not just life, but what? Abundant life. And so those are the characteristics of, of Jesus. And God started... And if you go follow those notes there, you'll see how the progression of how death came. In fact, it's interesting to me that death is referred to, you see that in that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, that death is referred to as the enemy of God. In fact, the last enemy is death. And death, so why would God turn his kids over to the enemy? Uh, you know, it don't make sense. In fact, Jesus is ruling until he puts all of his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be abolished, put under his feet, is death. When is death put under his feet? In Revelation chapter 20, at the last judgment, in the last, the death is the last thing to, one of the last things to be dealt with and put it thrown into the lake of fire in fact, let me just say this real quick. When you deal with death, you've got to deal with two things. One, you have to deal with the spirit of death, and you have to deal with the condition of death. And they're connected. But the spirit of death, who will fuel the condition of death, 
is thrown in the lake of fire at the end of the age, at the end of the time, because the reason why death cannot be totally eradicated until the last judgment is because if God made final judgment on death, guess what? He would have to execute final judgment on us. Why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. If you sin, we give legal right for the spirit of death to function. And so God to get rid of death, if he is a, a just God. So if he executes judgment here, he has to execute judgment everywhere. And so he holds final judgment off against death until he can eradicate it. When he eradicates it at the final judgment, then he can judicially deal with death without killing us. And that's the reality of it. And that's why God says, I, I'm not the taker. I'm the giver of life. That's why James 1, 16 and 17, where James says so clearly, do not be deceived, beloved brethren. Every, no, I'm sorry. Every good and perfect gift comes from what? Above, from the Father of lights, from which there is no what? Variation or shifting shadow. So he doesn't vary. I love that 2 Samuel 14, 14. Where it says the Lord God does not take away life, but plans ways to bring the banished ones back. So God tells me, in fact, whew, <laughs> you can start to feel it, that he is that same place. When all hell's happening here, you know, I don't know about you, but I've got to know that there's a safe place. And that is what I just hope that my belief is, is in this six weeks that we do this, that all of us in this room will be able to know that there's one place that we can go in all the universe that's 100% safe. I'm, I'm a safe place for Paula to a degree, you know, but I'm not 100%. Because I've heard her too many times. And I am sure that you've hurt the loved ones you have at points in time also. So our Heavenly Father is that perfect, safe place. So anyway, so that is the gist of what chapter 1 is about. And I invite you to take those past scriptures and run them. And, uh, and you know, our prayer is, is that it would minister and and minister to you. Um, any questions about that before we go any further? Any thoughts? And please don't hesitate to ask questions. So, <clears throat> so let's go into, we'll start on the second page in chapter two of this. And uh, let's just start with, you know, growing up, um, Growing up, I, I knew nothing about God, y'all. So biblical terms were far from me. So all of a sudden, I get saved, and, you know, and all I knew was about Jesus. I started going to a, to a good old Southern Baptist church. It taught you how to 
to believe the Bible, and you got saved 52 weeks a week, year, you know, and, which is okay. I need to get saved and uh, make sure it's stuck. And, uh, but, uh, but we didn't really, you know, understand the depths and the character of God. But we, one thing that I did get was the reality of, of who God was. But biblical terms that people threw around, I had knew nothing about. I showed up at seminary in 1986, you know, uh, graduated from college in 1970, showed up seminary in 1986, and I'm just hearing all these terms like sovereignty of God, God's omniscience, God's omnipresent, you know, and all these things. And I'm going, dude, what is that? And so, you know, and so I didn't learn it in relationship to these. But then I start hanging around Christian circles, and I hear terms like those things I mentioned, but the one that really kind of carried a lot of weight was the sovereignty of God. God's sovereign. In the circles that I was raised up, not raised up in, but got saved in, that term was a term that was used to really throw weight. And then when you didn't understand a situation, well, God's sovereign. And, and, or God is in control. You know, and in fact, um, you know, in fact, I about got in fights about these issues. I literally did. I mean, I'll never forget one night to a, a precious couple of ours, a friend of ours, um, you know, had a 12-year-old daughter, and they're riding down a, a Florida highway one night, and, uh, and you know, those Florida thunderstorms can get kind of crazy, and they're riding down, and all of a sudden, they hit a mud puddle, and he spins out, hot plank, the car hydroplanes, and spins out and the daughter, 12-year-old daughter, is laying in the back seat, across the back seat, with her head up against the door. And, and so they hit a tree, and they happened to hit a tree right where her head was. And so she dies at the site there. And, uh, and I'll never forget, I'm going to, you know, to, the, to their house that night and just trying to be there with them and not knowing hardly anything. But just seeing this guy walk up to this couple who just lost their daughter and, and saying, well, you know, you know, God is in control. God took your daughter. And I never tell you, I wanted to slug somebody so hard in my life because I'm going, don't say that, you know? And so, so coming out of this thing, you know, what does this mean? And in fact, if you'll notice in your notes there, the phrase God is in control is never used in the New American Standard, in the King James, or New King James. It is not in Scripture. It's almost like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in the book of Hezekiah, you know. Oh, really, it came out of poor Richard's almanac, you know. Benjamin Franklin, you know, I mean, we, you know, how many, a curious question, how many people in here have ever heard the phrase, God is in control? Raise your hands. So all of a sudden, that gets spoken and it gets established as the theology that gets thrown around in the midst of adverse circumstances. And how many people, this is the question I got, how many people has faith has been wounded because Christians have used that term inappropriately. 
Pardon me? Is that all right? And so, you know, wondering why there's so many, the world doesn't want to have anything with God. <laughs> if all of you have heard that phrase, how many, you know, of the world has heard it too, and they go, well, if God's done that, I don't want to have nothing to do with him. You know, and so, and that's, in fact, using the word term sovereignty, I, I uh, you know, I, my, the Bible I use is my computer nowadays. I do have it when I preach, but I don't hardly use it anymore. And it's so easy to run searches. So I ran, I run, uh, I ran the word sovereign. Well, the reality is sovereign only is used one time in the American Standard. Um, it's used only once. If you'll notice, the terms are not used in the New King James or the King James sovereignty or sovereign. But yet it gets used. And then the New American Standard uses it, um, I think it's three times. And, but the question is, what does it mean? You see it in Psalm 103. In fact, let's go to Psalm 103, verse, verse 19. And let's look at the context of it, what it's used. In fact, I had a, I'm very big on letting two things. One is letting the Bible interpret itself. And two is allowing, um, allowing the words that's used, like in the original, the, the original languages, Hebrew or Greek word, tell you what it is and not get caught up careful at how it gets translated. Um, because, you know, having translated scripture, um, not just having to in seminary, you know, whether both Hebrew or Greek, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy translating something from one language to another. Um, to really catch the, in depth. But, in, uh, but let's read this Psalm 103, 19. And, uh, and those, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Well, literally that Hebrew word means his kingdom rules over all. Now, what does that mean now? That's a whole nother rabbit. Because his, his sovereignty is his kingdom, literally his kingdom rules over all. Now that's an important statement to consider. And we'll, we'll get more in depth about that. But I'm just trying to give you the basis of this Hebrew word and Greek words for sovereignty. Let's go to the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. And also look at uh, Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at the 1 Timothy passage first. And so in in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 15, where it says, um, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, that Hebrew word, the Greek word, I'm sorry, it's the same Greek word it's used in Hebrews, I mean, Acts chapter 8, verse 27, where it talks about the Ethiopian eunuch, where it says, the Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, 
queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem and worshipped a court official. He was, a, he was a ruler. So when it gets used as the word sovereign, it doesn't, in the New Testament, it doesn't communicate, okay, he's dictating everything in the universe. Now, the, 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 the Psalms passage says that his kingdom rules over all, but here I want to interject. What does that mean? And that's where the real important thing goes that we're going to get to as we go along. And so, uh, as you'll see in the note there under that number one, the sovereignty of God does not mean that God controls everything. Now, some of you, as I say that, that can cause uncertainty. You know, go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean things are up in the air. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is when it says in Scripture, God does not control everything. He doesn't control everything. And there's a reason why. And I'll tell you this, just say this real quick. As a father, if I could control things in relationship to my kids, Shay and Michelle, I would do it. And, you know, and one thing I know without a shadow of a doubt that I love Shay and Michelle, and I know that it is true in God's word that God loves all of us a whole lot more than I love Shay and Michelle. Well, if God is in control and he is a God of love, then he would control it in a way that no one would ever go to hell. I mean, could you imagine that? The immensity of that? In fact, when we get into the depths of this discussion about the sovereignty of God and and how this thing's going to unravel, you're going to see really the heart of God just like passionate longing. Like it says, he, he waits on how to have compassion on us. He longs to be gracious to us. And so, so uh, when we're saying this, he doesn't control everything. He doesn't control our decisions. He does, and he, he in fact, he well, let me fact, I better shut up. I'll get talking about. So I'll notice a statement here. What does sovereign God mean? Now I'm going to use it. It's just a term to be able to overarching term. And I just sort of knocked about how it's used, but I'm going to use it in a way to embrace three major truths about who our God is. And the first one is that God. Let's go to the. the uh, let's go to that. Let's go to that Psalm 103. Verse 19, and, and we look at it, and it's really, it's just, it's bring it up. In Psalm, I said 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. The first statement that sovereignty does mean, it's going to sound crazy here, he is, like that statement there, he is the absolute Lord, King, and ruler over everything. Okay, Rick, you've been sitting there talking against that, and now you're all of a sudden, you're turning around and you're saying it. Yeah, I am. But how I say it is important. And so, in fact, 
I want to establish a couple of things in Psalm 89, 14. The foundations of God's throne are what? Justice and righteousness. Now, he rules over all. And his foundations of everything that he does is in justice and righteousness. And then it goes on to say, loving kindness and truth go before him. So if you ever going to have anything to do with God, it's going to be absolute justice and it's going to be absolute righteousness. And as you draw near to him, you will experience loving kindness and truth. You can't get close to him. And he is the most um, awesome being in all of the universe that you've got this absolute justice and righteousness, but at the same time, intensity of, of loving kindness and truth. One, there's been a few times that where I have been in God's presence that were like, God, just two things of few who God was started manifesting to me, the absolute fullness of it. I'll never forget one night, I was down at Living Waters, and all of a sudden, I'm experiencing God's power and God's love all at one time. I'm talking about, I'm talking about really experiencing it. And I, just those two things. And y'all, I was short-circuiting. I'm literally, God, I can't handle this. Wait a minute. I mean, how do I brace absolute love and absolute power all at one time? I mean, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with absolute love and absolute justice and righteousness all at one time? I mean, it, you know, it's just crazy intense. He has no unrighteousness in him. Zero. Zero. If any time he does anything that is unjust, he has to cease from being God. If he does anything that is not righteous, he would have to cease being, he would have to cease being himself. Because he is it. So when I say he's absolute, he is the ruler over all, you have to receive and know that he is just and right. He is love and kindness and he's truth. Now, I'm going to put a little commercial in here. This one subject, this one heading right here caused me to write another book called The Courtroom of Heaven. Because I was having to deal with uh, the issues that I saw. Why would God say to Israel, kill all the people in the land? How could he do that? I mean, how could he do that? I mean, how is it that he could wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? If God is a God of love and God is good, how could he tell the children of Israel, Go do that. And it's got to do with justice and righteousness. Not just this quick commercial. One of the things that you will see, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting when the children of Israel went in, going into the land. Uh, before they went into the land, God says to Abraham in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13, 12 or 13, he tells Abraham, he makes a promise that he, he was going into the, into the land. But he says, I cannot, paraphrase this, I cannot give it to you yet, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What did the Amorites do? The iniquity of the Amorite. What was it? You know what it was? 
child sacrifice. Egypt. How could God, if God's a God of love, how could he kill the firstborn in all of Egypt? If he comes in land. First off, I'll say to you, he did not kill. You look in Genesis chapter, Exodus chapter 12, I think it's verse 24. God comes into the land. He passes over the land and the death angel comes, the destroyer comes in and God says, I will pass over you and not allow the destroyer to come in. So what happens is God comes into the land. It brings absolute justice into the land. Absolute justice because wherever he goes, it's going to be justice. He comes into the land. It's bringing justice into the land. And you know what happened? It was, you know what the, um, you know what was going on in Egypt? You see this in Acts chapter 7 like, oh man, I'm sorry, I can't remember the verse. But it talks about when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they brought the star of Rampha and the, and the god of Moloch. You know what the method of worship of the star of Rampha and the god of Moloch was? Child sacrifice. Tom, hold on. me to really mean to interrupt i was going to ask isn't righteousness still connected to faith because remember abraham believed god and it was reckoned to him as what righteousness so believing i mean those other nations they didn't believe god it has to do with faith too doesn't it uh, realize this that there are three types of righteousness in scripture you see this in romans chapter 10 there is a righteousness which is according to the law of Moses. Okay, that's, that's a righteousness. There is a righteousness, in the same passage, it talks about a righteousness of men, which we see in our society today, where society's trying to say what's right. Righteousness literally means that which is right. So you've got the righteousness of men in Romans chapter 10, and you've got the righteousness of the law, which is the righteousness of God, it is the law. The righteousness of the law is external actions. You know, Thou shalt not murder. That is a righteousness. But then you've got the righteousness of the heart, the righteousness of the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is according to faith. Abraham being the father of faith is what you quoted. But the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is the law of, which is the righteousness of faith, does not do away with the righteousness of the law of Moses. Remember in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think I came to do away with the law and the prophets, but to what? Fulfill it. He goes on to say two, three verses later in verse 20, he says, unless your, quote, righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? The righteousness of the law, which was external actions, does not justify you with God, which is the righteous faith. Now, getting back into these situations, the righteousness of God is the law of righteousness of, of the law of Moses. It is. But it's much higher than the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So when, when people are murdering their babies and the shedding of innocent blood is occurring on the earth, God being a God of justice, whenever that iniquity is complete, justice must be given. And that's where you'll see in Scripture, there's this time, that, well, like God said to Abraham, he cannot act until the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. 
is full, literally what it means. I'm thinking uh, the holiness of God pertaining to all these different nations in the Old Testament to, to wipe them out was more of a to not impregnate uh, the, the Israelite people uh, with their ways and their gods. And so it's the holiness of God that I think. Well, think of this now, okay? And this is important how, you, how I say this. You're going to murder somebody. You're going to kill somebody. I say murder. You're going to kill somebody. Okay. Every transgression must have an equal and just recompense. So there ha- when you deal with justice, it literally means to bring into balance. So for there to be a person killed here, guess what has to happen over here? There has to be something in relationship to bring into balance. Justice, that's the courtroom of heaven, why the courtroom of heaven is crucial. When you deal with um, holiness, you're dealing with, literally holiness means three things, separate, uncommon, and clean. It can bring death but on another, on another reason, but for God to wipe out every firstborn in the children of, in, in a nation, you have to have some point in time seen the shedding of innocent blood. If you read through the book, the law of, the law of, of uh, wow, we, when you read through the law of Moses, one thing that can really bring major destruction is the shedding of innocent blood. When the massacre occurred at Virginia Tech, uh, and I'm asking the question, why? I started looking, in fact, I was asking this question, why? And right like two days after the shooting, I was at home and just trying to just take a break from everything. And I remember turning on the TV, and, you know, the TV's going, and CNN, it was on CNN. And all of a sudden, CNN, they had like on the side caption, and right at the top it goes, the massacre at Virginia Tech. As soon as I saw that, I go, the Lord speaks to me. Draper met his massacre, which occurred where? The duck pond. You go to the duck pond at Virginia Tech, and over there, right beside the duck pond, is a plaque commemorating the Draper met his massacre, shedding of innocent blood. Second thing was, as the Lord showed me, was Smithville Plantation. Other thing that brings serious judgment of God on the, it pollutes the land is, is slavery. Treating the alien in your land unjustly. If there's blood been shed. Hold on, hold on. How does that balance the scale? I mean, it just seems to me it makes it doubly in one direction. Right? If you have innocent blood shed one place, there's a debt on the land. And so you're looking for where the debt is on the land. That's why that one of the first things that I did was I was dealing with, as a leader, I was dealing with in, in this area... I was looking for innocent shedding blood and deal with it. Interesting thing, y'all, come to find out that we had a relative to the people in the Draper Metis Massacre 
in our church. And so, the, so we were able to start dealing with it. Because if you recall, when the massacre occurred at Virginia Tech, right before it occurred, that officer was shot. But not long after that, we had the, uh, the Chinese student get her head decapitated in Douglas, Douglas Donaldson, Donaldson, Brown, Donaldson Brown. Right after that, we had the two Virginia Tech students up at the, up at the which still hasn't been resolved. As a pastor in this region, I've got to ask the hard questions. And y'all, I don't care if it's a, a point, point zero zero five percent chance that these events had to do with connected. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it and try to. And so, so anyway, that's a rabbit. What I'm telling you, God is absolute ruler and God is sovereign. You have to consider also the courtroom of heaven where he stands, I think it's Psalm 82 or 80, Psalm 81, where he judges in the midst of the rulers. Literally, right now occurring is the courtroom of heaven is, is going on. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. So anyway, let me at least get somewhere tonight. So the first principle is when we talk about the sovereign God, he is, he is absolute ruler over all. He, he rules with justice and righteousness. And the other thing is I want to establish is in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about in him there is no darkness at all. None. So he cannot do anything in relationship to participate with the things of darkness. There can be no agreement between him and darkness. Him and, and the powers of darkness. And so the second principle I want to deal with is in verse, verse uh, in, 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 in that number two there in the middle of verse one, is go with me to Psalm 89, verse one. And the second thing is God is the owner of heaven and of earth and the world. By the way, let me just clarify something here. You know the difference between the earth and the world in Scripture? There's a big difference between earth and world. Okay? And so the earth, when you think about earth, it's this. It's the, it's the ground. When you think world, the Greek word for world literally means order. It's an ordering of everything pertaining to creation. Uh, the ordering of, of governmental authorities, both spiritual and physical. That's the world. When, God, when Satan 